C A M P A D U L T H O O D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keats. We missed you, campers. We, we did a lot you. of recording, a lot of exciting guests, and then lots has happened Quiet. in the world, and we have only just started recording again. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. I was uh, listening to the episode that we'll be releasing tomorrow. We are uh, recording this on June 19th, the uh, Juneteenth, um, if you're celebrating, which you should be. Uh, and I was you know, listening to the episode we're releasing tomorrow on June 20th, which is a month since we recorded it on May 20th. And holy shit, what is going on? So many things. The world is just quite a place to be right now. It really is. It was funny. I was listening back to that too. And I was like, a lot of other things have changed, which we'll go into in a second. But the coronavirus stuff, it's like nothing's really changed other than... I guess you can now go more places legally, but like we were just discussing off mic, I've been going to all the places legally, so <laughs> nothing's really changing outside of the margins, yeah. but there's still like debate about wearing masks and where you should wear a mask, and California just mandated it, which was surprising because I thought that was a thing everywhere, like New York has had that for a while, and it didn't really hit the news as much, but anyways, not the purpose of this discussion, but it's just interesting to see how we've come in a month, but also how nothing has really changed. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, the the first thing that we wanted to talk to be, talk about today, and we felt was really important to um, to address, uh, is you know, we are now in the middle of the Black Lives Matter. Uh, protests um, and and we're all working on our allyship. So Maddie and I have both kind of prepared a little something to share from each of our hearts. Um, but I think the number one thing you need to know, campers, is if you don't believe Black Lives Matter, unsubscribed. I'm not interested in having you in this community. So yeah, thank I you think very it's much. pretty. I would concur. I think it's a pretty uncontroversial statement to say, just as a sentence. Like, mm-hmm. it's a complete sentence. Black lives matter. Black people matter. Our black guests matter. Our black listeners matter. They all matter. It's all just happening. I don't get why that's controversial. I think, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot of politics and a lot of things that have been politicized that shouldn't be. But I think just saying, hey, fellow human, you matter should not be controversial. So I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Maddie, do you want to say your little piece first or do you want me um, to say mine? Sure. I can go first. Whatever. Okay. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's a relevant topic. This is a current event podcast. We always talk about hot topics. And we've talked so much about the coronavirus. And it's, you know, nothing is really isolated. I think that a lot of a lot of the tension and stuff, there's, it's all related to this moment that we're in. And as I was thinking about what I wanted to say outside of just like, it's not controversial to say that people matter, um, is just from my own perspective, and I have a couple like very short anecdotes to share, I think 
just for this community. And I think we've been pretty consistent with this messaging um, for a while, but it's worth repeating. Like Shay and I are totally open to having pretty much any guest on. I can't think of anyone that we have said no to. And we, the, the thing that I love about doing this podcast and the episodes that I look back on and actually in like preparing this statement, I looked kind of at our past episodes and I was like, wow, there are some guests that of course I remember each and every guest, but there are some that I I hadn't remembered how much I enjoyed and how much that I learned. And that's the important thing. And I hope that, you know, people that hear things that we're saying and either want to agree and chime in or disagree or have a different perspective from us that want to come on, like, we're happy to share the mic and do those things. So I always want to say that for the podcasting community that I think it's important. I think that speaking your mind and speaking up when you see things that are wrong and that bother you, like we do that all the time on this podcast and it shouldn't just be reserved for Shay and I. And that's why we have guests on and we read people's emails and things. So I think that that's important. But I think in this moment, it's a time in the COVID time, since we're still kind of, even though things are opening back up again, I think life has kind of slowed down and it's a time for reflection. So it's it's a little bit of a beautiful moment to me that, you know, for people that are newer to understanding what are the racial tensions in this country, what is happening, that people have time, you know, you should always make the time, but I think it's, you know, a good time to think about what are things that make me feel uncomfortable what are things that I could be doing better? And it's really personal. And I think it's a time for a lot of empathy as well. And the thing that I th- I think through this moment, like in my office and stuff, we've been having these like sharing sessions, which I have a lot of opinions about. But one of the positive things that has come out of that is just talking from a place of I statements and being like, this is how I felt. This is how I've been experiencing things. And feeling less alone in like, oh, I thought I was the only one having that thought or I thought I was the only one that was scared about this or made to feel uncomfortable about this or I didn't know that piece of information. Um, Even like the concept of Juneteenth as the day that we're recording this, Mm -hmm. like it was, I didn't know that that was a day until I started working at my current job and a black coworker was like, oh, I'm taking June 19th off. And we were like, oh, what are you doing? You're like doing something fun. And she was like, I'm celebrating Juneteenth. First time I was, you know, two years out of college, I spent $250,000 at NYU and no one told me, had no idea what Juneteenth was. So that I think is just an example of, you know, how many people are coming to this place without any knowledge of it and just having a little bit of empathy for that. But it's also been, I think, a couple of weeks of looking at my own experiences with a lot of these things you know I don't want to talk about other people's experiences I think it's important that you know again like if guests and people that come on or people that have resources that they want to share like totally open to to that but I think the only thing that I can really share with confidence is that you know especially growing up in a household of law enforcement my mom's worked in law enforcement her whole career so I've heard the good bad and the ugly and So to come to this moment, it's been a little sobering because I'm like, none of this is really new to me, but Mm. I've also been having conversations with people that are very close to me about, you know, getting pulled over. I was having a conversation with someone and they were like, yeah, I remember like 20 years ago, I was driving through a predominantly black neighborhood and I drove like a beater car. This is a white person 
clearly. Mm-hmm. And they had gotten pulled over and the cop like was all huffy. And mm-hmm. they were like, oh, I'm just trying to get on the freeway to go to the suburbs, which are clearly white. And mm-hmm. the cop was like, oh, sorry, man. Didn't. Sorry about that. Like clearly wow. it was racial profiling because he was driving a junkie car in a predominantly black neighborhood. And it's horrifying to think if this person was of a different skin color, how my life would be changed. And even something that's even more personal, like I had alluded to it on this podcast, but I didn't tell this story, but I think it's it's relevant, even though it's not racially based, um, is when I was hanging out in Central Park with some friends the other weekend, and we were trying to figure out how to use the bathroom because all the bathrooms were closed. I actually texted Shay about this. And it's quite the story. <laughs> it's quite the story. It's a little, you know, it's a heavy topic. It's a funny story, but it's indicative, I think, of a lot of things. And it's not the first time that I've done this or used the fact that I'm a pretty unassuming woman to my advantage with cops. And I basically went up to a cop and they were kind of like keeping people penned in, which they shouldn't really have been doing. But they weren't letting people use the open public restrooms. And I went up and I kind of like faked this story that I was pregnant to get this guy to feel bad for me to let me go. And I did not hear not that follow the part rules. of the story, Madeline. Yeah. I was also very, it's hilarious because I was visibly intoxicated. So if this guy really believes that I was drunk, that I was pregnant, it would have been horrifying. Um, <laughs> but he clearly like could tell, you know, cops are not stupid. They like know that people try to play these games with them. And, um, I was, you know, some of the men in our group had gone up and they were like, yeah, they're not letting people out. And I was like, let me try to sweet talk them, you know, give a little cleavage, like whatever, not above it. And (laughs) it didn't work. um, But also nothing bad happened to me. Like I was visibly intoxicated in a park. I was social distancing light, you know, like I wore a mask when I went up to the cop, but I wasn't really wearing it the whole time I was there. And it's just these little moments in my life that I've been having conversations with a lot of white people in my life of like, oh, this is just an easy groove in my brain to like immediately be like, instead of fearful of that situation, I'm like, oh, I can sweet talk this guy with my tits. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. So that's acknowledging your white privilege. Yeah. I, I think that's, I don't know if I would necessarily call it that. I think it's more like being a woman and just the way that people see me as being unassuming and certainly race is a part of that but I think it's also like the men in our group weren't treated the same way too so I think it's also gendered but it's it's been interesting seeing that and then also growing up in Detroit where you know again I want to I want to be very clearly like separating the line between like protesting which I love like all about free speech and stuff and then the people that were taking advantage of the cause that we support and we're causing destruction and growing up in Detroit, which has still largely not recovered from what happened in 1967 and is also one of the most segregated cities in terms of redlining. Like there's um, walls that were built like physical, like Donald Trump style walls, like between neighborhoods to keep black families out um, for a large part of the 20th century. And that's something that you know, Michigan and Detroit has come a long way from, but it's still, you can still see that very, very clearly. And so to me, part of that is very deeply saddening in terms of the racial stuff, but it's also very sad in terms of, it's almost, I hate using this word, but it was almost triggering, especially being in Midtown Manhattan, which was heavily impacted by the looting and stuff like that. Like seeing that 
and then also knowing what happened in Detroit and kind of all of these things. Again, they're somewhat unrelated. They're different groups of people, yada, yada. We don't have to, you know, you can Google that on your own time. But just to me, acknowledging that there's a lot of hurt around the racial stuff, but also a lot of fear and sadness around the looting that was happening. Like, it was a real thing that I experienced. I had a lot of fear a couple weeks ago. And I think, especially with the COVID stuff, this is such an isolated an isolating time of people being in their houses, not able to express themselves or talk freely about these things. Like, I think it's just important to acknowledge it's okay if you felt upset or saddened or fearful for your physical safety or the safety of your neighborhood or what is my neighborhood going to look like. Um, I think that that's very common because I felt that. Um, So I would encourage you all to have those conversations. It hasn't been easy, but I think it's important on all sides to just be like, hey, what's been your experience with that to the people in your life? And then just listen to them talk and not say anything. You'll be surprised by what they say and how that colors your experience. Um, I also, this is something that I feel very strongly about, like people going back to what I first said, like this is a time for reflection. It's a personal journey. Like some people are coming to this being like, what is Juneteenth? I don't know what that is. Other people have been consciously trying to be inclusive and trying to be good people for a long time and so meeting people where they are but I think like I don't really post on my personal social media ever really I think the last time I posted was like Christmas time so like six months ago but just because people aren't posting doesn't mean that they're not doing anything and some of the like censorship and like I'm going to stop following people unless I see them post something or like I've even seen doxing behavior from people that I've that I know personally. Wait, what's doxing? It's like when you um, post someone's like personal like information, like identifying information Mm. on social media in order to like shame them. So this particular experience, this particular person, she um, had posted like the home address of a guy that owned a grocery store in her home and was like, this guy is a bigot and then Mm. like we all know the connotation of like you're posting it because you want people to either like send him hate mail if not worse Mm -hmm. things and like the guy might be a racist but like doxing is illegal you shouldn't be doing that and it can be very dangerous and it's counterproductive to the conversations that people are having so I just want to throw that out there because I think that the the best way to get through this moment to a place that we all want where people feel safe in their communities people feel included like it it has to be a place that's coming from people have to be able to speak their minds they have to be able to make mistakes they have to be able to say things that they can then say I actually take that back I learned something different that changed my mind you have to let people change their mind and not cut people off and this like censorship doxing behavior and also social media isn't everything it's definitely an important tool and people should continue to use that and I think you had posted Shay um like some people that I also follow, like Lucia and Cassie, who we've had on the pod, mm-hmm. who have been posting really great things. So I think it's a way that you can connect with people, especially since we're physically isolated. But just because you don't, someone's not posting a video or a, something on their social media doesn't mean that they're not doing anything in their personal life. And as yeah, someone this- who doesn't post on social media, I'm happy. Like, I don't, I'm not going to like go through it because I think it's performative even on this podcast to be like, look at how great I am. I've been reading mm-hmm. all these books by all these black authors and doing all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, 
I, I don't have any interest in that. But on like a one-on-one basis, if people want to email and I can talk or they want my opinion on like what I've been doing, um, you know, I'm always welcome to have those conversations one-on-one. So I don't know. That was kind of rambly. I had like certain beats that I wanted to hit. So hopefully I hit that. But no, you're that's great. kind of what I've been going through. I don't know. I just want people to feel less alone that like it you shouldn't have a sense of guilt if you've been feeling like anxious or bad or be like, well, my life is pretty good. Therefore, I can't have a negative emotion about this. And it's a time I hope people use the rest of this like slowed down COVID time to be like, what sort of negativity am I putting out into the world? Like the world is so negative. Like why, why are we continuing to put out negative stuff? Like let's help each other and make this a space where we can actually make progress and not tear each other down. So anyways, that's, that's it. I love it. Awesome. Uh, well, I, I will just say a few things. Um, so, you know, as we already said, the last time we recorded was on May 20th. Uh, it's now June 19th. So, you know, since then, a lot of things have happened, including we've continued to live in a COVID world. Um, and, you know, I thought a lot of statement, a lot about what statement, um, you know, we wanted to make on this podcast about Black Lives Matter, as well as what I wanted to say as an individual, because I think Maddie just made some really good points about social media. And it's really hard to, you know, quote, unquote, do the right thing and feel like you're not being performative. And if you're adding the layer in as well, that I have of of being a small business owner, um, feeling like, you know, I mean, I don't really care if people don't want to work with me, because they don't believe black lives matter because then I don't want to work with them either. I don't want their money, but you know, being afraid like, Oh, am I posting too much? Am I posting too little? But I think that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, so I thought, you know, what statement do we make about black lives matter and the recent protests over George Floyd and and the many other murders of black Americans? Um, You know, and, and ultimately for me as a white woman, I felt like there was really only one thing to say and we've said it. And that is that unequivocally black lives matter. And, um, while it, you know, as we discussed earlier, clearly all humans matter, the black lives have to be given priority now because they, um, are suffering the most and they are in the most immediate danger. Um, so, you know, just like what Maddie said, I am spending the time to educate myself and take action in my own communities. And this really happens, um, on my own time and kind of off the internet and off, um, this podcast. Uh, but if you are a white person and you would like to discuss your own journey with me, I mean, please do email me and I'm happy to have a private conversation with you. But again, it's really important um, to us and to me that we are not performative, um, in the education and the conversations. I will say there are two resources that I have really, really loved, and I'm taking seminars with both of these women. And the first is, uh, Dr. Amanda Kemp, who is a racial justice educator, and she is doing, um, a really cool seminar on uncovering your hidden racial biases that I'm taking at the end of the month. It is three days long, like four hours a day. It's going to be very intense. Um, and I'm also doing the whiteness at work series with Desiree Attaway and the Attaway group, um, and her colleague whose name I'm now forgetting Jen fish, 
something fish. Anyway, uh, they I really like the way uh, Desiree and and her colleagues talk because they're really intersectional and they helped me understand some things that I was struggling with as a person who, you know, has primarily in terms of my political or my, you know, my activist leanings have always been a feminist. And that's been where I've spent my time as an activist. Um, so helping me see the intersections between um, feminism and Black Lives Matter allyship. Um, so, you know, I think one thing that I really wanted to make a point to say is that I am processing certain things I've said on this podcast that may have not reflected my allyship. And I really apologize to anyone I may have hurt. I don't necessarily feel like I need to right now point those out or go into depth about what I'm thinking about. I'm sure I say way worse shit than you. So don't even feel like you have to. (laughs) There there are some things that I feel like I've definitely been like, oh, you know, maybe, maybe that wasn't, maybe that wasn't. I mean, with 115 episodes, there's going to be some great yeah. moments and some not so great moments yeah. and but you deserve some grace for thank you thank you, you know, well I guess what taking what I ownership over it is that we have talked about race on this podcast and we haven't hit it right and some of the things I've said I stand by and some of them I don't and yeah. you know again those You're are allowed to change your mind and evolve like yeah I was just saying yeah. I think it's really important to give people that opportunity exactly um but you know I think there are a ton of discussion points around Black Lives Matter that I'm, you know, I truly am itching to talk about on this platform because that's what we do. And, you know, I love talking with Maddie because we are very similar, but we also have enough, I think, friction between our points of view that we get into these really great conversations. Um, but however, the time for these discussions, which are really almost academic in nature, uh, from my my perspective, um, is not now because a lot of these questions that I've had is, okay, how does X fit in with Y? How does my work as a feminist fit in with my work as a black ally? How, how are these things in conflict with each other or are they in harmony with one another? Um, and while these are all valuable and interesting discussions, they don't change the fact that our black, black communities have suffered, are suffering and will continue to suffer for the foreseeable future if we don't focus our tools um, and our efforts on demanding justice, um, educating our white selves, and also figuring out how to make safe spaces for black people. And I really want to say, make a point to say that I use the word safe, not safer, because there's not a safe space. So we're not even to the point where people are feeling safe anywhere. So we have work to do. There's so much happening. So anyway, so that was just kind of my, my thoughts on on what I wanted to share here. Again, I would love to have a private conversation uh, with anybody who wants to talk about this more, particularly, you know, as we know, friends, um, if you are a white person, don't go to your black friend and be like, tell me about your life. That's not cool. Yeah. Um, There's some like basic stuff. I don't know. I think I, I agree. I agree with all of that. I think it's, it's soon in this moment to be like, you know, I think, what we've said is good. I think there's, you know, this is a, a a podcast where we talk about current events. So I think it's important that we talk about it and we talk about our own experiences. And I shared some things you're talking about, the things that you're doing. And, you know, once we've had more time to process, we do a lot of recommendations on this podcast. And certainly, you know, we once course, we've had time yeah. to digest, we can do, do some more of that. Um, 
But I agree. It's it's like a deeply individual thing, which is interesting because I think a lot of activist movements, part of it is coming together. um, But part of it is like figuring out like what makes sense for your life and what makes sense for your beliefs. And I think two of the values that I uphold over everything else is the ability to protest in this country is so important and it goes hand in hand with free speech and then also making space for people to change their mind and not having a sense of guilt because they once were ignorant but now they're making an honest effort to say hey I'm going to take this point of view in there's a ton of books like there was I you know just to put an end cap on this like with one recommendation Brittany Cooper's eloquent rage book is so good Mm -hmm. I would say I probably disagreed with about half of what she said, but it's an honestly unbelievable book and it changed my perspective on a lot of stuff. And it's not an easy book to read, Mm -hmm. but that's an example of like making sure that you're getting diverse perspectives in and then Mm -hmm. taking the time to feel like just because this is like a movement and and it's the, the popular thing to do and it's the right thing to do, that shouldn't be the motivation. The motivation should be in all things, how can I get the perspective that I'm lacking? If, I, if I'm if i feeling confused by something, I don't understand why people are upset. Perfect time to be like, let me read something. Let me find a resource. Let me figure yeah. out a way. Well, And yeah. right now the focus, and I'm glad you said this, Shay, is the focus right now is on black people. So mm-hmm. this, what I'm saying is true. Like this is a constant value that I know is true in my life of what I just said, but like, the focus right now is on black people. And I think that it's, you know, that's what's needed in this time. But I think it's an important principle of all of life too, just for me personally. Yeah, no, I mean, I completely agree with you, but I I do think that we should be coming into this and then leaving this with a certain baseline of, I mean, I think what this movement brings forth is that there are certain there's a certain undeniable baseline. And if you, if you're a person who thinks that there isn't a problem with police brutality in this country, if you think that black people, that this really isn't a problem. And if you're not doing the work to understand what systemic racism is, what microaggressions are, what this looks like, then then that is a problem. And to be completely honest with you, Maddie, I don't have time to have conversations with people who refuse to believe that. I'm not interested in talking to you. That's fine. I'll talk to you. I'm fine having that conversation with people because I I was there myself at one time. And I think if people, if I didn't, um, it's one of those things where you don't know until you don't know. And it's like, there's a wide range of like the George Floyd video all the way to microaggressions and there's a lot Mm -hmm. of gray areas in there and people like there could be people who are listening who are like I don't know what a microaggression is the same way I didn't know what Juneteenth was and I think it's okay to people shouldn't feel stupid if they don't know right but they should make an effort to understand I mean clearly I don't know anything and I have a huge amount of education to do and a lot of work to do but I think it's the people who are like willfully ignorant that willfully ignoring it that's the problem or or willfully sticking to their guns 
about these things just to make who are politicizing a human rights issue. Right. That's what that that's, was my totally 100. Yeah. percent I think that's why I was like, you're I, learning. That's wonderful. Let's have those conversations. Yeah, totally. Like honest conversation. That's why I'm like I. There's. I have no issue, and I think it's it's the right thing to say saying. Black Lives Matter, period, end of sentence. There's no, there's no but, there's no and, just Black Lives Matter. Does that mean that I agree with every single stance on like the BLM website in terms of what they want to do in terms of reforms or in terms of, you know, there's no like one size fits all. So if someone could hear that and be like, oh, that must, because she said Black Lives Matter, period, end of sentence, that must mean that she also believes x that's not the case mm-hmm. there's no political thing to yeah. just be like black well, lives matter you know so that that was the clarification that and I, I guess that's what i'm saying is like i am excited to over the coming months dive into these cer- certain conversations and debates and yeah, it's gonna be have fun. these juicy. conversations juicy as topic. we all learn yeah juicy topics as we learn more and hopefully can bring more bipoc people on to the podcast uh but right now i think at the height of the protest the only thing that we really should be doing is educating ourselves and listening yeah and then we can have a chance to speak about it and to have those more academic debates in the future Love because it. yeah i mean i, I can think you say some... what bipoc is because i uh, also only learned what this was like last week uh black indigenous people of color thank you very yeah. important. People but like understand. black, comma, indigenous, comma. Yeah, not all of, of the color. above. <laughs> yeah. If you're, I mean, you could be all of yeah. the above, but uh, that's not. Very what, important. This is about. Yeah. I think um, there's a lot of people that I, I know that aren't as educated and then feel like turned off by the, the conversation and they shouldn't just because it's like you don't know one word. So, so I always like I to mean, I'll, point that out. I'll say, I think. One last thing, and then we can go on to our lighter campfire topics. But uh, so I've been speaking with a colleague at work who is um, she is an activist. She is an anti-racist. She is a white woman, but she raised um, a black uh, boy uh, who is now a young man. And she talks about a lot about the work that she had to do. And what I love the work that she talks about, the work that she continues to do even 10 or 15 years in this journey. Um, but the thing that she said that I thought was so poignant is that she goes, part of the reason why you feel uncomfortable is that you are feeling grief because you have realized just by the nature of systemic racism, which is designed to keep white people and black people apart, that you have missed out on beautiful, wonderful, fulfilling relationships with black people because of a system that is designed and now you are opening yourself up to the opportunity for a whole nother you know part of the human spectrum and i was just like that that is so beautiful it's so hot so beautiful yeah, right like i want to run optimistic. out and be friends with everybody yeah i, I thought I, that, this is how cynical i am i thought when you were like oh there's grief i thought you were going to say grief because white people realize that they've had it great for a long time and now it's coming to an end (laughs) no no grief because you've realized that these beautiful relationships that you may have missed out on and i was like it comes back to empathy and compassion and that's where it's like on on every side of whatever wherever you're coming to this at if you're the most like i'm the most anti-racist i understand everything about this all the way to 
uh, it doesn't affect my life at all. I'm not impacted by it whatsoever. Like, there's there's just too much negativity. Maybe that's a little Pollyannish, but I'm like, that's such a beautiful, nice thing to be like, we're trying to come together. Anytime a group of people comes together and shares ideas throughout history, it's always been a net positive. Maybe not in that current moment. Like, there's a lot of uncomfortable moments, but the more you separate people and the more you don't talk to each other and talk honestly and not and don't fear retribution for an ignorant thing that you said or fear that you're going to get it wrong it's always it's always a net positive and I really love that yeah I agree all right so we probably talked about that longer than we thought we were going to so let's too many aspects (laughs) too many things to say uh so you know let's let's dive in what is your millennial moment Maddie Hmm. Um, I was thinking about this. I don't know. There, there's been a lot of them. I would say, oh, there's like a bug on my wall. I'm going to pretend that that's not there and hope that it is slow moving. That's a good way to deal with um, it. Yeah, it looks like a slow mover. I think he'll be there when I'm done with this and then I will kill him. Um, but no, the one of my favorite, this is just like a fun, you know, during the, the COVID times and then especially being in New York when it was like things were starting to reopen. It was very optimistic. And then everything kind of came to a screeching halt um, like a week or two ago because everything was like really battering down the hatches during the the real height of the protests um, that they opened up a franchise of my favorite Detroit pizza shop on 9th Mm. and I ordered a pizza today and I had a slice and I definitely overpaid for it because I had it delivered but I was like this is just such a delight and it's a reminder of home and I love it. So I had a nice Detroit-style pizza today. I love it. So my millennial moment is, you know, all of us millennials who love our little self-care luxuries have really been screwed during uh, COVID because we haven't been able to get them. And I... uh, I go back and forth between getting being a regular manicure getter uh, and not. Um, and I had kind of gotten back into it because I thought I was, you know, getting ready for my wedding and then it didn't happen. So I grew out my gel manicure and it was a real mess. But now I found these stick-on manicures and I know that they have been popular for a while, but I am new to the game. But I found this company called uh, Manny Me, and I'm obsessed with them because they're like very chic designs, very fun, and they stick on, and I don't have to go to the salon, and no salon lady stabs me with her Dremel like happened last time I got a manicure when I almost like bled to death. That's me being dramatic, but I did get stabbed, and there was a lot of blood, and I was afraid I was going to have an infection. Um so now I think this is my new thing. I think I'm like a stick-on Manny for yeah. lifer. It looks very good for the listeners that can't see Shay on yeah. the video. It looks, you can't tell it's a sticker. It looks very professional. Thank you. It is a, wait, can you, hold on. There we are. Um, it is a pride manicure. It's got little rainbows in it. It's yeah, so happy cute. pride, by the way, listeners. We love I you know. all. It's really, we were like texting about this a little bit before. It's like, it's very funny to me that like, like obviously now people you know we're all we're all cool with pride being canceled because it's focusing on black lives matter and also COVID is still a thing but like i'll mm-hmm. tell you the guys in my neighborhood the you know out no one no board. one's no one's stopping the gays of hell's kitchen they're they're out there <laughs> they're here they're 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 priding it up and you know what god bless them 
So yeah, your I manicure looks very good. It. But the best thing that you Thanks. told me about the manicure is that it they 3D print it to match your nails. Oh yeah, they 3D that print so it cool. so it fits your nail beds like perfectly and um, there's not a lot of work. I actually have to retake my pictures because one or two of my nails is a little bit off, but um, I love it. And I think I can get people a coupon for like $5 off. So if you want it, let me know. Yeah, and I will send the name you my of referral this company? code. Uh, Manny Me. So it's M-A-N-I dot M-E. Okay. I'm definitely going to be doing that. I was asking Shay because I was like, it's perfect on your nails. Did you have to cut them? Mm-mm. That would be so specific, but that so is easy. a very cool service. I love that. Yeah. And I will say this is the third one I've done. Some of them do look slightly more like stickers than others, but these ones that are like, yeah, they call them the clear away, ones. Tell. I know from far away, it's like sometimes I get annoyed yeah, who's with it. inspecting but... your nails except you? Although it does yeah. bother me when my manicure is messed up, but yeah. no one else can tell. But it's definitely worth it. Don't cut your nails too short because I did that this time and yeah. they got a little janky. But Ugh, that is a good point. Highly, highly recommend. And it's so much better for your nails than the um, the gel like, stuff gels and all that nonsense and yeah. i believe this particular brand is uh leaping bunny certified so they don't like test on animals and i think they may be ewg certified as well yeah. which means don't be they're putting not your nail stickers crap. on your animals who's doing that it's crazy i don't know so i mean maybe i would i sometimes i get bored. oh my god benson <laughs> needs nail stickers get her some oh 3d god. printed asap seriously um, they'd be like you're crazy very cool. all right hot topic my friend um this is <laughs> We, we were uh, texting about this, and it's kind of, it's not really... Uh, it Are you really say what I think you're going to say? I'm going to talk about Rachel Hollis. I can't not. Oh, is that we're talking about Rachel Hollis. I thought you were talking about Ginger Duggar wearing shorts. Oh, well, we could talk about that. For, that's so funny. I love that you thought that that's what was, like, <laughs> deep in my soul that I had to talk about was Ginger Duggar wearing shorts. For those of you that don't know, the Duggars are a very religious family, and Ginger Duggar has since started wearing pants, but then she got real saucy and was wearing a workout outfit with like shorts, not like Bermudas down below the knee. No, no, no. These no. were like normal shorts. So I would have bought them. They're cute. Yeah. I tagged Shay on Instagram because I was like, can you believe you can see her saucy leg? And she's wearing mm-hmm. pants. What mm-hmm. is this? Um, very important. No, I um it's I'm just like so flabbergasted that Rachel Hollis is getting divorced from her husband. Not oh, that it matters yeah. in any way. And obviously, yeah. it's very sad. No, you know, divorce, never fun. Um, but it's just wild. And I've spent way too much time. And I'll give a, a short backstory, not to talk about it for too long. But um, I did a very long internet deep dive, which I'll tell you what I found. And I'm just like, I can't. I can't. And we've been talking about, we've talked about Rachel Hollis. Basically, for people that don't know, she wrote Girl, Wash Your Face, which was like a bestseller. And she went viral for like posting a photo of her stretch marks. And she's kind of one of those people that like she has a lifestyle brand and she's a coach. And, um, but she's also kind of like, I'm relatable. I'm a mom, like all this stuff. And Mm -hmm. she says a lot of problematic things, but I, I found, I went into like reading Girl, Wash Your Face being like, I'm going to hate this. Everything I know about this woman, like she's religious. Mm -hmm. She's a mom. Like we have nothing in common. And I know we've talked about this on past episodes, but I read that book and I was like, I really liked, I I like her. Like sometimes it's like nothing that she says is really original, but it's just sometimes through the vessel of hearing someone's tone and how they talk about it, mm-hmm. like the message sinks in more. So I, I like her as a teacher, even though everything she's saying is kind of stuff. If you're in the personal development space or you read self-help books, you've probably heard before, but I just find, I find her very entertaining and I actually 
stopped listening to her solo podcast because I was like, oh, whatever, not really interested. But her podcast with her husband, Dave, has always really fascinated me. I really liked they get more real into it. Like, it's not as refined. And they would talk about, like, literally, this is, like, what we do every day. Mm -hmm. And... And they talk about sex stuff. I always really, yeah, they talk about sex. They talk about a lot of stuff. And it, I, I always found that very interesting. And I realized it's it's partially because I identify a lot with Dave. Like he had, before he left to join Rachel's company, he was, he kind of had a traditional nine to five corporate job and he wasn't as like driven by self-help and stuff. And I, I actually just read his book like last week and I was like, it's really good. I like, I, I like a lot of what he has to say. Um, and then, so that's kind of the background on them. And then literally they, they're in the middle in their like community of doing like a 90 day challenge where they basically like post videos and you're supposed to like work out and drink water, or whatever. And they stopped because they were like, we want to be respectful of the Black Lives Matter movement and we're taking time as a company and people can read about it. Rachel Hollis has had her own issues with race and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, she stole a Maya Angelou quote recently and all this mm-hmm. stuff. There's a lot written about that. Um, but I found like her actual content, like the virtual conference that Shay and I both went to, like mm-hmm. was pretty diverse. It wasn't just all Rachel all the time. And there's different perspectives. She has a lot of different people on her podcast. So it was one of those things where I always kind of in the back of my mind defended her based on her actions and less on her words. But then so <laughs> she went, they, they had their wedding anniversary on May 26th. Right after Mm -hmm. that was when all the protests erupt. They say, okay, we're taking a break from social media. We're going to take a pause on all of our content. We're going to, we're giving all of our employees time off to do this work. And we're doing, we're bringing in these consultants, all this stuff. And then two days later, they both post on their Instagrams being like, we're getting divorced. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, the cynical part of me is like, you're doing this. You're yeah. you're taking a break from your company in order to educate your company and your people on black issues, not because the two the CEO and the COO are getting divorced of this like small company. And yeah. also Dave posted like four days before being like, It's never been easy, but I'm so happy that we're like continuing to do life together. They had a vow renewal last year. They adopted a kid. Mm. So like part of their social media post, they were like, we've been struggling for three years. There's been a lot of issues, which which they've talked about on their podcast. And Dave actually goes very into it in the book that like he didn't want Rachel to publish Girl, Wash Your Face because it was too intimate about their life. He didn't. they, They had a lot of issues with their adoption of like. At certain points, Dave wanted it more than Rachel. And then at certain points, Rachel wanted it more mm-hmm. than Dave. And they were kind of missing each other there. And then they ended up going through with it. And then Dave discovered that he had kind of like a drinking problem. And he talks about in the book how like he was drinking too much with the kids and was like kind of a neglectful dad. And Rachel was like, what the fuck are you doing? And there's a whole chapter where she, Rachel was like, I'm going to do this X, Y, and Z business thing. And Dave was like, there's a 3% chance that's going to happen. And then, of course, it happened. Mm-hmm. And she like the petty bitch that she is. This is why I love her she bought a charm bracelet that said like 3% on it and she wears it every day because Dave was such an asshole and like didn't believe in her. And so like, this is always the undertone. And then obviously there's the part in girl, wash your face, which is the underpinning of their whole relationship that Rachel was treated like shit when they were dating. Mm -hmm. And he was kind of a fuck boy and was just like treating her like a piece of ass. And then she Mm -hmm. walked away and Dave came back and was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And she like used that in the book as like, 
oh, people can change. And I always kind of defended it because I was like, I've seen it in my own life. People can change. Like, if you give someone an ultimatum and you really stick to it and you say, like, if you do this again, I will leave you. Yeah. Then it's fine. And that's what I always believed. But now I'm like, it was a fucking act the whole time. Like, they built this whole, like, podcast and all of this book stuff about how they were like, we had this issue, but we made it through. So I'm very interested because they've basically, like, turned their whole feed over to this woman, Britt Barron, who works for them, who's... Mm -hmm african-american and she's doing all of this like learning and stuff about black lives matter with the on instagram and stuff and i'm like this is so convenient that you're you know with the times and your feed looks great because you're educating people but like rachel and dave don't have to do anything because they're going through this divorce so anyways i'm just very fascinated by what's going to happen especially after i like looked through their feed and i'm like literally four days before this announcement Rachel didn't post about their anniversary, which I think is very telling. But Dave mm. wrote this whole post being like, our vow renewal last summer was the most special thing. It really, like, we've gone through some rough patches, but it really, like, renewed my sense in us. And I can't yeah. wait to see what this, what we're going to do with the company and our marriage yeah. and our kids. And I'm like, so she fucking was sick of it and dumped his dumb ass that she shouldn't even have married in the first place because he was a fuck yeah. boy. So it's both deeply sad, but also entertaining at the same time. No, I hear you. You know, it's so funny. These kind of things always create this war in my soul because there's a part of me that went, that really truly like you Maddie is an optimist and I believe that people can change and I believe that we're in it for the long haul with our partners and our families and our our you know our inner circle of friends. Um so I will do anything to, you know, build a relationship and to, you know, try to keep it alive and cultivate it. But then just like you, I'm like, you know, when people show you who they are, believe them. He's yeah. been a jerk since day one. And she's a jerk too. But like, she never pretended yeah. to be anything else, right. you know? But she's like kind of obnoxious in her like business sense. But when it comes to like their relationship, it's just like yeah. consistently in her book. And even in Dave's own words, he's like, I am the reason why we were struggling. I was the one that like, didn't believe in Rachel's business. I didn't believe in her book, which is the whole reason why both of them have careers now. Like, I wasn't being a good dad. Like, she says these things about him, and then he says them about himself. So I'm like, okay, she's kind of obnoxious in business, and, like, her teaching style isn't everyone's favorite, and she's said controversial things. But, like, in their marriage, it seems like she was the one that was keeping it together. But also, it's a little bit, like, opportunistic because, like, he was making over a million dollars a year at Disney. This was part of my internet deep dive. Like, they were making so much money. They lived in L.A. They live in a beautiful house in Texas now. So it's, like, and this has been a criticism of Rachel Hollis the whole time that she doesn't acknowledge that she she's, like, preaching to people where it's, like, you can wake up an hour earlier every day and your life will be better. But it's, like, she has a full-time nanny and a huge house and, like, is able to support four kids, which a lot of people can't do. Everyone has heard my rant about the internet inspirational meme that says everyone has the same number of hours in a day as Beyonce. Yes. I have such a rant. I mean, no. Beyonce has four times as many days because she has a staff. Right. Exactly. So, like... And she's had a staff since she was, like, 16. Right. So, don't tell me. But the thing that... And, again, this is why I keep going back and forth. Like, she... The thing that I like about Rachel, like, if you follow her, like, Mm -hmm. she says a dumb thing... It's like you go on the journey with her because, like, Mm -hmm. she'll say a dumb thing and then she'll be like, this is why it was dumb. Like, in her second book, she was like, this is why it was stupid. I didn't talk about having a nanny and was, like, a little bit more Mm -hmm. real with it. So I'm like, okay, at least, like, again, we're giving her an opportunity to change. But with 
the marriage stuff, it just like makes me, it doesn't, it just makes me question their, their like judgment skills that you would mm-hmm. have your husband quit this like very lucrative job to run this business. Like if I worked at the Hollis company, I would be like, this is fucking weird. It's a family business and now you're getting divorced and their revenue stream is like Dave and Rachel. Like I'm sure they don't have a prenup or anything. Like it's going to be contentious, all of the assets of the business and stuff. So that's where my mind goes. It's also interesting in my internet deep dive, Rachel, mm-hmm. like the one of the posts right before she posted about getting divorced, she posted a photo of Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with the plot of that book. No. Um, but Glennon Doyle is another, she's not nearly as famous as Rachel Hollis, but she's kind of like a self-helpy kind of like memoiry type person. Mm-hmm. And she writes in that book, and she wrote a lot about her, her uh, marriage with her husband. And then Untamed, part of it is about how she was like, I was afraid to divorce my husband. There were so many reasons because I thought mm-hmm. my business would crumble. And Rachel yeah. Hollis fucking posted a photo wow. of that book, like right, and she was like, "Wow, this is a great quarantine read. I'm learning so much." And I'm like, "You were inspired to leave Dave because you mm. were, af- you know, you were afraid that your business was going to crumble." But Glennon Doyle now has this bestseller, so I'm not going to be surprised if her next book is like, "Girl, dump him," and she's going to like <laughs> capitalize on it. Yeah. But well, it's going to be I interesting mean, I, to follow. I think it'll be interesting know. to follow. I think you've covered all the hot spots. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I will be interested to see what happens What there. is your hot topic? So I had one hot topic update and then just a general meditation on dogs, as I usually oh, do. Uh, so the first is uh, on our episode with Lucia Holly, we talked about uh, the Allison Roman Chrissy Teigen uh, feed. And or I guess yeah, I should say Chrissy Teigen. I've read before that everyone says oh, yeah. her name wrong, but she never actually corrects. But now them. she so and John say, right. say Teigen. But no, like, I thought they said Teigen. I've like heard them on TV say Teigen. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna Anyways. have to look it up. But again. it is Maybe you're right. I'm like backwards. her, we should be saying Teigen. But I think it's one of those things where they're like, oh, we're sick of correcting people, so we're just gonna like yeah, go with it. It is but what it is. Anyway. But anyway, so I and I hesitated to even bring this up because there was kind of like a race element to it. But I thought it was really interesting how it played out, which is that um, and, and it does go back to our conversation about, you know, if people mess up and they're a public figure, can we ever forgive them? So I so Allison basically got kicked off of her. They've temporarily suspended her column from The New York Times with absolutely no. Uh, you know, plan for when or if it will come back. And the New York Times is so effed up right now. They have so oh, many yeah, like effed up. Things well, but happening. also like Bon Appetit, where she was also working, oh, yeah. is totally effed up and it is having major overhaul in the middle of the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, but what I think is so like. This is what makes me annoyed about this, uh, this whole thing. Because again, I like Allison. I think she fucked up, but I think she owned it and I think she apologized. I think Chrissy Teigen is an incredible woman. She is gracious. She is kind. She is supportive of others in their journeys. And Chrissy basically publicly was like, Allison, like, yeah, you hurt my feelings, but it's okay, girl. Like, you know, let's yeah. work on it. And Allison, you know, said, thank you, Chrissy. So they were cool. And Chrissy was like, yeah, don't cancel her column. Like Chrissy supported Allison. Allison did the work. She said the thing. She's continuing to do the work. And yet a bunch of old white dudes at the New York Times decided to screw over a woman. And and I think 
because they wanted to be woke. Like that's how that reads to me. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the kind of stuff that makes it's me dangerous. so so mad, right? Because it was it was it was and I it was hard it was a hard story to swallow at the beginning and I'm just like it it, it It's sad. The, it's like it's there's sad. nothing that she you know, we talked about the in Zoe's episodes like the mm-hmm. what she said and yeah, it was like you know, whatever she was making, she was making up a, a point. Oh, it was Zoe's episode, not Lucia's. Never mind. Yeah, it was Zoe's episode, but she like, it was like the examples that of using Marie Kondo and Chrissy yeah, were problematic. But what she was at, like her point that she was making, you can agree or disagree, but it's it's a valid point of like, how do we value people that you know are having these authentic brands, but then they're kind of sellouts. There's nothing, you know, you can debate the merits of that point, but there's nothing like harmful about bringing that up in an interview mm-hmm. and then she she chose some like some examples where she could she could have chosen mario batali as the example mm-hmm. and the, the substance of what she would have said would have been the same but would they have canceled her column if she had said mario batali because he's a sexual predator and everyone hates him and yeah. everyone loves marie and chrissy and mm-hmm. they're women of color that that to me is what you know the but, the element of yeah. like you're a news publication and you can't see the 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 intention of what someone's saying and exactly to your point Shay it's this like performative wokeness to appeal mm-hmm. to people that like I don't know anyone like that in real life I don't know yeah. anyone this is I've been thinking a lot about this in a lot of different capacities like there's only one person that I can think of in my personal life who like would do something like what the New York Times did in terms of like whatever you want to call it cancel culture whatever it's kind of overdone like people don't do that in their personal lives except the one person that I know that was doxing that I referred to at the beginning of this episode like normal people this person because um you probably do it was a girl in the sorority that I don't she wasn't like influential so you may have crossed paths with her but uh, um but you know what I'm saying it's like people don't like there's stuff like shit people say in my family all the time that I'm like it's 10,000 times worse than being like Chrissy Teigen's a sellout well, and, and I get, people don't care like they don't act like this it's only yeah. these like I don't know I get very heated when I well talk I guess it. the thing is you know there is a lot of conversations right now about intentions and like your intentions don't mean anything like maybe she didn't intend to be racist well, but then she I was guess racist the difference between first but, and second degree murder means nothing like yeah but I guess what I'm saying what I'm saying is in this case, this isn't what this was about. And there's something extremely disrespectful to both women yeah, and people of color by having this decision. You know, yeah. Allison and Roman, Allison and Chrissy had a really wonderful dialogue, right? Like they right. showed like two women you can make a mistake you can educate yourself you can learn you can forgive you can build each other up as women and that's what the story the takeaway should be but like allison i'm sorry she's fucked like her career's dead yeah like she's done you know and she doesn't deserve that and chrissy doesn't deserve to feel like she ruined allison's career when she forgave her and supported her no, you know? Chrissy, if anything, this shows me, I didn't know the outcome of this. So this yeah. is like my takes are very fresh on it. But like the this isn't the most recent example of the New York Times doing something like this. So all it does is prove to me that the New York Times 
doesn't have the integrity that maybe it once did of like standing by their employees and being a resource to them and highlighting the very important story that they didn't of like this is how you have a path to redemption this is yeah how we can highlight two women supporting each other and instead they're just like we don't have values to stand yeah. to stand up Poor so we're just going to put you know lick our finger and go on twitter and be like which way is it blowing today and that's the decisions of the new york times board and that's yeah. well, upsetting exactly and i think too it's just um yeah, I mean, you you hit the nail on the head, Maddie. It's like we're not we're not paying attention to the story that's actually important here, um, and it, the people it hurts is not the Times. The people that it hurts are women and people of color who are trying to make careers for themselves as whatever. Yeah, so. and it has a chilling effect on like, oh, Mar- yeah. you know, uh, Allison spoke out of turn. She wasn't as polished, mm-hmm. and we want to have a situation where people can talk freely and exchange ideas and maybe, you know, it's not refined around the edges, but the the portion of what they're saying has some merit and should be debated. But if people are like, well, I have to be polished every time I open my mouth or it has to, I have to cross every X, Y, and every T and dot every I and whatever before I can open my mouth publicly, that's censorship that's bad i think that's deeply bad and especially when it comes from the new york times which is a respected publication that i love a lot of the reporting that they do but it has a chilling effect on everything when the new york times does something like that totally and i think the other thing is it gives i mean i'm all for giving power to the creatives and power to the writers but it gives right it puts writers in this position where if you're an unscrupulous person right you're going to ask questions right? because think of that power you wield, right? Whoever wrote that piece by including that bit, that, that bit yeah. of the interview, he, he or she, I don't know if it was a man or a woman who wrote the article, um, you know, that that's an incredible amount of power to wield because the oh, writer yeah. shapes the story. So totally. anyway, I, I don't want to go too long, but uh, so many things. Yeah. yeah, so I totally agree. The writer, if you read it, they did. They did it on purpose for sure to make her look like jackass because they wrote, they had a, like she called the next day and was like, oh, I knew that I said something weird about Marie Kondo. Can I further explain my point? And they, they put like one sentence of what she said and she's like since Mm -hmm. come out and been like, oh, I had a follow up conversation with him being like, that came out wrong. And I, and she knew it even before Mm -hmm. the story was published. It's not like, oh, she reacted poorly because people were upset. It was oh, she knew deep down, she thought like a human, oh, what I said was yeah. wrong, let me fix it. And the guy or the guy or gal, whoever wrote the article, didn't give her the time of day. So definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah love it. So many hot so takes. Just, just to wrap up, because this has been a longer episode than I think we intended, so hope you guys <laughs> are enjoying it. Uh, I just wanted to talk about some excellent dog content that I've been really enjoying oh, yes. on Instagram and other dogs, places. Yes. The first is um, Eliza Schlesinger, who oh. is the delightful comedian who wrote, um, has a series of Netflix specials, including most recently The Wedding. I forget what that yeah, one was called. But Elder Millennial, Millennial yeah. was our favorite. And then uh, she uh, is a an advocate for many things, but one of them is dog rescue and her beloved rescue dog Blanche passed away last year. And then she got a new rescue dog from China named Tian Fu. And 
the Tianfu content is just wonderful. And she's trying to teach Tianfu how to give paw. And it's been literally hours of content on her Instagram. And I can't stop watching. And Tianfu just will not learn how to give paw. She's like, no, I will not give paw. Um, Benson, I will say, learned how to give paw within 15 minutes. So she's clearly a genius. Um, And then the other insta dog i'm loving is uh if you're watching this most recent season of queer eye yes so love. the queer eye dog Bruley also sadly passed away last year so they had to get a new queer eye dog and it's one of the i think production uh someone on the production staff it's their dog and it's this like scruffy i don't know what kind of breed it, it is it looks named. kind of like benson it looks ways. kind of like my dog which is why i really love it but his <laughs> name is walter and he has an Instagram account and he's so cute. But I think what I really love about it is just, and this is why I love Queer Eye anyway, is just the way the five of those guys interact with this dog, especially Anthony. Oh, like, yes. Anthony is such a dweeb and he's such a tool, but you put him within like five feet of a dog and he, he melts. It's, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. He like freaks out like a small child on Christmas morning and I love it a small a small tangent but I think it's important because we've never talked about it what is your ranking of favorite to least favorite queer eye cast member oh and I'll give you mine because I think this it's very important I mean I wouldn't obviously they're all great and we love them all they're all amazing so this is like saying you know my top except there's a clear loser but go on yeah they're they're all amazing so my least favorite is Anthony Okay. Okay. Probably next. And you can say maybe a brief, a brief okay. why. Well, Five because seconds. I mean, he really, I love the dogs, but he's, he is a tool and he's not actually a very good cook. Although <laughs> the sour cream and the guacamole is actually a good thing. Um, then Tan, who I love because he's just lovely, but um, he he's kind is of bland. also. He's a little bland. He's a little standoffish sometimes. Yeah. He has weird outfits sometimes. Uh, third is probably Jonathan because I find him very lovely, but he's a little over the top for me sometimes. And I'm not digging the crop tops he's yeah. wearing. In Literally, four. he wrote a book called Over the Top. So accurate. Yeah. But I do like him. And then uh, number two is Karamo. Um, also because the reason why I, he is not number one is I love his spirit, but I'm also like, your career is basically, you were on real world like 20 years ago. And then my favorite is Bobby. I just think Mm. he is delightful. I love his story. I love that he was an actual, like he's an actual entrepreneur. Um, and I just feel like he really connects with the characters and you can also see with Bobby, like he feels really uncomfortable a lot of times, particularly when they were in the South. And I just, I love that whole narrative. But really, I, I mean, he's delightful. Kramo's delightful. Jonathan's delightful. Tan's delightful. Yeah, Anthony's delightful. I love them all. Um, this is you? funny. It's very, so I'll go through the same thing, but this is very indicative of how similar we are. Obviously, like you were <laughs> saying at the beginning, like we have our differences, which is, you know, if it was just two identical people having a podcast, it would be the most dull thing Boring. to listen to ever. Um, but I totally agree. I have a couple changes, but okay. I I feel like most people are either their number one is Anthony and their number one is Bobby and those people are opposites and I'm definitely number one Bobby. Um, but I'll go I'll go least favorite to top. Karamo, this is actually when I was like, there's a clear num- there's a clear loser, and it's Karamo. 
Um, I just like really, I I literally fast forward through the parts of the show that Karamo's in. Like but he's so handsome. And he he's is. So he's sweet. so easy on the eyes. He is very sweet, and I I enjoy what he does on the show. Like the episode with the guy from Mexico, and they like had had. I don't his... think I've read that one yet. Or watched oh, it's that very one. good. Well, there's like a guy from Mexico, and his daughter's estranged, and Cromo like finds the daughter, and they have like a very nice mediated conversation. Yeah. So like the stuff that he does is super powerful and important, but just like him as a person, I'm like, it's kind of what you were saying about Tan. I'm like. It's almost like he's too polished and, like, too good-looking. Mm-hmm. And I feel like throughout the course of the show, like, I know Tan's backstory. Like, he's an immigrant. He just became a U.S. citizen. Like, Bobby's story, like you were saying, Jonathan's story. But, like, Karamo, I know nothing about him. So it just he was is like... like a, his claim to fame is that he was on Real World, like, yeah, when that was weird. a thing. Yeah. So, yeah, Karamo, number five. Number four, I would say Anthony for the same reasons. I think he's super easy on the eyes. He's also bi, so like ladies, you have a chance. Oh, and I wondered if he was bi. He is. He I has, he, I shouldn't say bi because he's come out. I'm sure someone's going to fact check me on this, but he's said. Batty, what? I'm sorry. There's a ghost. What do you mean? <laughs> this light was off and I, I didn't touch anything and it just came on. <laughs> paranormal activities okay sorry continue while i turn <laughs> off had a light. short in the the fuse or is it on a timer or is it a clap light no it just it's wow. it just Maybe came it's a on real for ghost. no reason someone was just okay. lit up by our conversation about queer eye also yeah, the sorry, bug go on. the bug that i was like it's gonna be there when we're done it has vanished so it oh, could be anywhere it's probably in um anyways very quickly anthony um also agree he's not that good of a cook also yeah that's basically it i'm like what are you bringing to the table Number three, I would say Tan, same as you. He's kind of, like, middling. I do like his fashion choices, but I'm like, eh. Number two, Jonathan, endlessly entertaining. I also love his book, Over the Top. It gives, like, so much backstory into... It's, like, a fun read, and it's very short and kind of, like, you could be-treat it, whatever. But it's a lot about, like, him living with HIV and his background and stuff. It's very interesting. And then... I didn't know he was HIV positive. I'm learning so many things. Yes. You would never know. Um, he only recently came out about it when he was writing the book. It's very interesting. Oh, and I think maybe I did know that. Um, anyway, so number one. Number one, Bobby. Bobby. Of course. Bobby is, okay, while, while Anthony's mixing the sour cream and the guacamole, which we love, Bobby's literally demolishing someone's whole house and building it up from the ground up. Like, yeah. so much work. And yeah, he's doing it, like, making sure, yeah, he's an actual small business owner. He's making sure that the space fits their actual personality which is much harder than just like picking out an outfit or doing someone's hair Mm -hmm. so and fits their lifestyle too yeah yeah agree okay great hot we're on the same page (laughs) all right kids on that note i have to go home to feed some small children some food that they probably won't eat anyway the small children on blast um yeah i'm actually recording another episode i'm on another podcast oh a guest so. I'm, I'm going on Rebel Heart Radio again, by the way. <gasps> oh, my God. I loved the last... I'll cut this part out because this is just us talking. But right, let's um... just say bye and then we can talk for okay. a minute. <laughs> bye, campers. We love you. We love you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield. And this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers.
We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.